0: Everybody, my name's John. If we haven't met, I'm a pastor here, and I've been away for a while, and it's really good to be back. This might be the most familiar passage of scripture in the world. And uh, by that, I mean not just that it's familiar to Christians and Jews, because it's part of both Jewish and Christian scripture. Uh, I have a vivid memory of the night of 9-11, the president getting on the TV and reading scripture. And it wasn't just because he professed to be a Christian. It, you got the sense that he was saying words people knew and took comfort in. I know somebody who had his children memorize this psalm by the age of three, which I haven't done. Um, we tried, not at the age of three, a little older. Honestly, I just forgot. We got bogged down. This is a good opportunity to try again. And by the way, If you have not memorized this psalm or if you've memorized it and forgotten it, I want to encourage you to give this a try, to memorize these words. And it's not because a pastor said so or because you have to. Like everything else in the Christian life, it's because you get to. You get to claim, again, every good and beautiful thing that God has given you while innumerable voices and forces are trying to strip them away from you. That's just our life. And it's for good reason these words are precious and memorized and for some of us imprinted on our soul. And I'll, I'll get to why we're doing it today in a little while. But let me just say for now, I've never preached on this psalm. I have read it and, well, spoken from bits of it at funerals because it's a psalm of great comfort. And what's not to like? It's about... A God who is with us, who treats us like a shepherd, and like in a good way, if you don't know really what to expect from a shepherd, like guidance, and being given pasture, and rest, and defense, what's not to like? But actually, and it's actually, I think, a really important place to start because it's how the psalm starts. I worry that there is something really important that gets lost in this psalm, and it's not only comforting. It's not only comforting. This psalm does not go down as easy as it first seems when you take a closer look at verse one. There's actually a massive hurdle to get to all these blessings, which are there, by the way rest, restoration, a path, guidance, like royal privilege at the king's table, in the king's house, defense from enemies, life everlasting in the house of God. All those blessings are there, but there's actually a hurdle you have to get over first, and it's not some work that you have to accomplish. And they're not even really like magic words that you have to say, but there is a massive and all-encompassing decision that you have to make in order to receive any of these blessings. And it's right there in verse 1. It says... The Lord is my shepherd. You actually have to make Christ your shepherd. You have to make him your shepherd because he's meek and humble in heart. And he doesn't take you by the collar and force you into a sheep's position and drag you into pasture. You have to choose him. You have to make him your shepherd it's the very first phrase the lord is my shepherd that means i entrust myself to this shepherd and that means i go in his path not mine he calls the shots i go where he goes i don't go where he doesn't go his path his Path of righteousness and that is the only way it's actually possible to experience all the benefits that this psalm is so famous for this actually comes together if you look down at page three or your own Bible if you have it Psalm 23 it comes together really nicely if you look at the first three verses as a whole so the Lord is my shepherd the one who guides me right then you get all these benefits I shall not want I shall not be devoid of anything I need for my life and salvation He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This is provision. Food and drink. He restores my soul. This is resurrection language. Not just like a breath of fresh air. It's like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good today. I feel like Jesus is around me. There's actually something deeper than how you feel going on. He is the one Who gives life and apart from him there isn't any that includes his spirit at the beginning and the one that comes back on the last day that will rise you from the grave body and soul he restores my soul he leads me and here's where it comes together kind of full circle with those first three verses he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake Every benefit we experience here happens on Jesus' path of righteousness, which we follow for his sake, not for the sake of some benefit we want or need in this life. That's your 23rd Psalm. What's his path like? How do you know that they're the righteous paths? Because they're his and everything he does is righteous. And you've got a whole Bible, but let me just give you a few. Jesus says... Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. His way is poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn and are are meek, are a rock when it comes to the truth, but don't go slamming anybody in the head with it. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for justice in this life. And Get this, immediately he bundles with that, Blessed are the merciful. Now, how many people do you know? How many shepherds? How many leaders do you know who perfectly bundle total devout seriousness when it comes to what is right and just in this world and are completely merciful at the same time? That's the path. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have God as the one thing necessary in front of them. Blessed are the peacemakers and those who will let it hurt, who will be persecuted. For the sake of staying on this path for his name's sake. On that path, all these benefits come. And Jim Anger, who's the pastor of Liberty Church over in Collingswood, New Jersey, totally separate church, but we couldn't be bigger friends, better friends with them. Um, He spoke last week on another famous passage, The Great Commission, where Jesus says famously, go. just at his ascension, Uh, go into the the world and make disciples of every nation, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's this famous go. It's known as this go passage. It's called the Great Commission, but as Jim spoke about, that go, that imperative statement, is sandwiched between these two vitally important uh, facts call them indicative statements or not imperative go do the statements but this is how it is statements first one all authority in heaven and earth is given to me and secondly I am with you you can't take the go go be on God's mission without those two all authority on heaven and earth, in heaven and earth is mine and I'm with you now that is those are Psalm 23 statements all authority is the shepherds All of it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Let me just ask you for a second. Is it possible that when Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth is mine, that that includes your life? Is that possible? That he has all authority over your life? That's what he thinks. There is no self-navigation. And no one forces you into the shepherding relationship. It has to be a choice. But again, all these Psalm 23 benefits come when you entrust the entire path of your life to him alone. It's the strangest thing in the world. If we kind of take away from Jim's sermon last week, all right, I need to go, Jesus needs to be on my lips, his light needs to be exuding from my life, his love has to be my law. But he's not. he has no role of actual authority in your life. That would be the strangest thing in the world. Imagine with me for a second a sheep with a shepherd, if the sheep could talk, saying to the shepherd, your way is really stupid, your way is your way's really dumb, and I don't like where it's leading, And it's difficult sometimes, and I don't think you're a very good shepherd, and I'm I'm gone. There's no more audacity. Um, And and by the way, I talked about this a little bit when um, Stephen Wood was ordained back in June, because the New Testament language of a pastor, the the word pastor means shepherd in Latin. And um, even pastors are sheep. But we talked about a little bit of the dynamic of this relationship, sheep and shepherd. And it's a really unique one. Like like parent and child doesn't work at all because children grow up and the relationship changes, right? Um, Even like a, a general and a soldier doesn't work because you can get promoted and you might get a new superior officer at some point. There is never a point in the sheep's life where it doesn't need the shepherd. Ever. Ever. Here's a good illustration, actually. I was thinking about this this week. It is an example I cannot get away from, and I wish I could. Anyone who, know, who owns a dog, anyone who owns a dog knows the difference between walking the dog and the dog walking you. Can I get a witness? It's anybody. You see it on the street. You're like, this dog is walking the owner, and I can relate, but it's embarrassing. It's not how it's supposed to work. Of course, you're not a dog, but you're not literally a sheep either. (laughs) You know, it's a metaphor. You are image of God, but sheep is what you are spiritually. And listen, this isn't isn't just silly. This is our spiritual journey. Going back to the text, look at verse 4. This is really famous. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this verse for a second. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Wait, if he's such a good shepherd and he's so good at leading places, what am I doing in Death Valley? What kind of shepherd leads you into the valley of, like, there's other places to go, probably. What kind of shepherd? Just ask Israel in the wilderness. Just ask Christ in the wilderness. A faithful God will lead you through Death Valley on his righteous path. And as soon as we get there, we say this plan is stupid and maybe homicidal. And we buck against his authority. But isn't, isn't it when you're in the wilderness that you find out, whether you actually belong to him at all. Or at least, maybe I can put it this way. When I'm in the wilderness, I find out how weak my yes to him was in the first place. And whether my yes was really a no. Whether it was a yes for now. Yes, as long as, long as you don't do something stupid like lead me into the wilderness. This is going to work out great. And I'll keep walking the dog walker, all the way to my destination, which, which really is nowhere, really is nowhere. That's how it normally works. It's when you are in the wilderness that you find out about his faithfulness just like the disciples on the boat in the storm. Let me just say to comfort you for a second, I hopefully am identifying with you. If you're feeling terrible about your spiritual journey and you're like, oh gosh, I'm the dog walking, the dog walker all the time, you can't shake off his I am with you promise that easily. You just can't. The old hymn, Abide With Me, says, um, Thou hast not left me, oft as I left thee. So we're, get, we're getting to gospel now, right? We're getting to steadfast love. We're getting to his covenant faithfulness. But he will keep saying, we really need... To get this straight, if we're going to walk straight, even through the wilderness, whose paths are we on? Let's get to more grace. Verse five You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I don't know if you noticed, everything in the Psalm so far has been a path. Verse five is a rival. You're my shepherd. You lead me beside still waters. You make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. You lead me in paths of righteousness. We're in the valley. I'm going to try to trust you. Your rod and your staff is going to keep me safe on the path. Now we're at a table. We've landed now. And also, there's no more sheep imagery for the rest of the psalm. He's taking us out of the metaphor. He's saying, this is your life now, human being, image of God, child of God, anointed one. This is a scene of provision, a table, victory in the presence of my enemies, abundance, my cup overflows, and royalty. You know who was anointed, anointed in the Old Testament? Prophets, priests, and kings, overwhelmingly. Some inanimate objects were also anointed, but it is a consecration to God to be anointed and a commissioning. For us, it's our baptism, and spiritually, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit with us. Here's how to think about arrival. Here's how to think about the table set in the presence of my enemies, my cup overflowing, the anointing, etc. There was a pastor in Philadelphia for, it's decades ago, but he was a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church uh, for decades, named uh, Barnhouse. Donald Barnhouse. And his wife tragically died when he had young children. And they were on the way to the funeral. And on the way to the funeral, like a truck passed by the car. And the shadow of the truck came across the car while they were on the way to the funeral. And he said, kids, would you rather be hit by the truck or by its shadow? And they said, the shadow. And he said, that's that's your Psalm 23 23 promise. Even when death itself comes for for you, it's the shadow. The table set. Your anointing is settled. Um, Your enemy has been conquered in some sense finally, even though you're waiting for the final benefit of it. But don't you think for a second that you're getting hit by the truck of death. It can't happen because of the Savior. And neither did your mother. That's good news. That's gospel. Christ put death to death. Life poured out in a way that overwhelms death and overflows to you and me as we take hold of him by faith. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's a pastor named Crawford Loritz. Well, he just retired. I know there's some crew people in here. He worked for crew for many, many years. And I heard him speak on this verse one time, and he had a funny illustration that I also identify. don't really want to get away from like the dog walking illustration. (laughs) But it's a pretty good one. He says when he thinks about this verse, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, follow me all the days of my life. He says he thinks about when his grandkids come to his house and they take all the crayons and the markers and the tomato sauce and the makeup if they get into it and they just smear it all over the walls of the house when they're over because they're kids. And what does he do after they go away? He takes one of those Mr. Clean magic erasers and he just goes scrubbing, scrubbing and, and cleaning them away. There's something about, in this passage, there is something in this passage, goodness and mercy will follow me, just like a magic eraser kind of follows the mess of the kids being at the house, the beloved kids at the house, kind of erases mess. There there is something of forgiveness image here. And forgiveness is something to follow you. Who are in Christ. It's part of the journey from this day forward for the rest of your life. Goodness and mercy from God will follow you. But I actually think there's something a lot richer here too. I think David is saying a lot more than we're forgiven. He's saying that Since the shepherd is with us. And remember, there were long years when the shepherd was the only thing that David had. Like the only thing he had in the wilderness was his shepherd. Since the shepherd is with us, our lives are overflowing cups of goodness and steadfast love. Your life today... Whether you feel like you're at the table or if you feel like you're in the valley of the shadow of death is an overflowing cup of God's goodness to you and the world and his steadfast love. That's another translation of that word mercy. I can't make you experience that. Let me just say that because I know too many of you. I've, had, I've only been back a few days. I know too many things that are going on in your lives this summer. To make you taste that, I won't try. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. My job is just to say, according to Scripture and the saints across the millennia who have had as hard a, li- a life and as hard a week as you have had, that that is true. Your life in Christ today is somehow an overflowing cup of God's goodness and steadfast love, faithfulness, mercy. Do you recognize that at all? It's always true, if the promise is true, that I am with you to the end of the age. Because anything else in this life that makes your cup feel full was his idea in the first place. And the whole journey of this Christian life is loving the giver of gifts more than the gifts themselves. Why are you here? You're not here to be entertained. Of course you're not here to be entertained. Like we could accomplish that here. You're also actually not here. I think we do get this confused a little bit. You're actually not also here to have your psychological and emotional needs met. Although that is a wonderful byproduct sometimes. You are here to participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And mysteriously, through his word, his community, and the sacraments, he strengthens you for life on his path, which is the only place life is found. And that's enough. It has to be. If he really is all all present, filling all things, the originator of every good, true, and beautiful thing. And he gave himself at great cost, so that we, just through faith and joining him on his path, would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You need that if you're gonna be on his mission. We're gonna talk about the mission of the church in August for a lot of reasons. in a lot of ways, life just feels like a reset in September. You know, People are back more from vacation. College students are back. You kind of get back into your September through May schedule. And we really think about a lot of our ministries. But I'll tell you what, I am tired. I am tired of coming up with plans and itemizing them and then telling you all how it's gonna work apart from returning here every day. And frankly, I think I did a little bit too much of that in the past year into secure housing or more home meetings in Port Richmond and Norris Square. That would be wonderful. What success? By faith and his grace, staying on his path. We do that. Everything else will follow. We don't do that. Nothing else will help us. In the name of the Father,